We have an undeniable sexual chemistry. Can we have sex just to see if I'm gay? And it's completely not personal. Yeah, well, <laughs> listen, he's married, two kids, can I know? And here we go. You're pretty superstitious. Very superstitious. Yeah. That's the one thing that sticked with, like, you know what it is? Do you want to do it? I, no, it's okay. <laughs> I, I do it for my own mental thing. I do a little count in into the episode, but we're rolling. Okay, it's we'll good. do it. But, like, oh, I'm always superstitious. Like, one of the things, even though I was only Hasidic young, uh-huh. And then we grew up still religious. Like right. to anybody who even, like, I'm still the most religious. At my least religious in high school, let's say. Like, yeah. we were still kosher at the home. Like, Pesach, like, the, the, the kitchen was covered in tinfoil. Like, just right. like so. Just, well, for context, because we're all just getting to know yeah. each other now. So you grew up in, you, you grew up in, in. So I was born in Crown Heights. Okay. I had my early, early childhood only in Crown Heights. I'm one of 10 kids. My mother is Canadian. Uh-huh. From Montreal, and when Chabad she Hasidic community? no no oh. she's Bal Tshuva. I see both my parents. Okay, and they always go, they go they tend to go a little hardcore. Mm-hmm. I saw the yeah. ten kids by thirty. They really did it, you know. It's kind of surprising, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've heard that before, though. That Bal Tshuvas go crazy <laughs> into it because I think of it like if things have been like a couple degrees the other way, you would have just been born into like a totally you you would just been like a normal person with a normal background. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, they like wouldn't have had... So, exactly, yeah. It, it really the, is crazy. I find yeah. it's the people who are who become religious, they're the most hard. Yeah, exactly. And the least flexible yeah. because it's almost like a transformative thing. Yeah, they found it, they heard it, they believe it. And it's just like, yeah. this is it now. Right. You would have just gone to like a public school and not had like a story. Yeah, we maybe would have had like... My grandparents were like conservative Jews in the way that like, you know, we know of secular Jews now. Like they yeah. did the holidays, you that, know. That's the kind of family I grew up in. Yeah. yeah, so like that sort of thing. I think we we would have done that, but I don't know. Maybe we would have done the kind of thing that I heard people were like kosher in the house, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But um, but the one thing that really... <laughs> stuck, and then we moved But to your Canada. father was native uh, Lubavitch? No, oh, also Valchuva, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they both were in Crown Yeah, they both went... Kook mook, like right. we had on our house engraved my, uh, you know, Beit Chabad. Right. Like, what got them? It was it was the. Uh... My dad was at uh, in college, um, and I can't remember what happened there. And we don't mm-hmm. have, you know, I wish I could ask him, but we don't have much relationship now. We mm-hmm. don't have a relationship now. Oh, yeah. um, but my mother, you know, it's kind of that vulnerable thing. My mother's like, if you're asking if I had any friends, the answer is no. I'm like, all right, ma. Mm-hmm. Like she was just, my mother's the kind of person that if you give her a pamphlet in the subway, mm-hmm. she's reading it. Uh-huh. She's involved. Like she's very easily. Right, right. Searching and. Yeah. And she was only like 17, you mm-hmm. know, so she was a kid and looking for community and, you know. Well, like a lot of teenage girls or, or teenagers yeah. just in general. Well, yeah, I guess you guys aren't that different because she went kind of extreme away from her family and you went extreme away from your family. Yeah, but I'm not away from my family. My whole family's away. Like, I'm close to oh, a lot of my family. Right. Mm. Um, well, I guess down it, a different path. Yeah, like yeah. And my mother, separate. like, was on that path with us. Like, my mother, we fried out as a family. Interesting. Which huh. is very interesting. Most people, they leave and their whole family is in it. But my mother moved yeah, us to Montreal and was. we were less and less religious over the years. I wouldn't say it took one year. Mm-hmm. Some of you were like, as soon as you moved to Montreal, I was like... No, like I was kosher probably till 19. And mm. that's even after I moved out of the house. I kept that. Yeah. But the thing that I still keep to this day, A, I have some, I, 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 listen, I have a mezuzah on my door. I'm not an animal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> a, a, you know, there's certain things like, come on, like, you know, there's certain things. Um, but the superstition, I always joke that like I have OCD, but mm. I don't know if it's OCD or it's superstition or mm. it's like the things I grew up with, like, you know, like kissing the mezuzah. Mm-hmm. I do that. Okay, right. fine. Starts that small. 
Okay, I say the Shema at night. Listen, I'm not. What do I have? A death wish? No, yeah. we're saying the Shema. Okay. We're hedging your bets. A yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Low well, risk, listen, higher listen. Lower. I'm already gay. Like, yeah. ah, let's, let's, <laughs> you know, let's even it out. Hashem, I'm trying something. You yeah, know, you yeah, can't yeah. say I did nothing. Right. Okay. And then, but, but it even goes down to like putting my right shoe on first, which I don't yeah, even remember I where that originated. Yeah, that. But I'm like, yeah. I, since before I could talk, <laughs> yeah. I was doing that. Might be OCD. <laughs> yeah, because you put your right foot forward, and I'm like, course I put Jewish law so has made us all OCD. It's, oh my, yeah, of it's literally OCD. Do you find point. that you're less uh, as your observance maybe dwindled? But it sounds like in your case you're you still stick to certain things, but it's you're yeah. still religious. But even I know it's so weird because I see that a lot in people too, where they're more religious than I am, even if I'm technically more observant. Yeah. I never said I'm religious. I'm like here's the whole thing. I always say I'm not religious. Right. And like the girl I'm dating, she's like, you're the most religious person I've ever met. Yeah. No, but like to her, the fact, I do Shabbos, you know, if there's an opportunity to do it, I have some dikes around the table, we do it. And everything I do is the Lubavitch because that's what my mother did. So even though my father was in the house, growing up, my mother held the Kiddush cup like this. Right. You know, when there's the father yeah. missing from the house, the mother takes takes it on and she did it, you know, and it poured over. And, uh, you know, I, I... I find myself returning and doing to the traditions. I don't even like going. Recently, you ever I invite went... men to the Shabbos? What? Table? Do you ever yeah. invite men? <laughs> yeah, we have the honoraries. We get somebody going with a yarmulke. Do they have to say Kiddush if they're there? No. <laughs> they pro- you know, I'm probably the only one Everybody who knows the Everybody gets a the Kiddush. Oh, look at this. Yeah. Well, I once had a Passover Seder where a lot of dykes came, and we had an Egyptian lesbian. Uh huh. Oh, very rare. And uh, I, I made her read all the parts of the what the Egyptians did to the Jews out yeah. loud, and she was like, "I'm like, say it out loud. Like, you can oh, read it in English." Well, it's part of it. Yeah. But, it's, it's, uh, um, but I, I find, you know, I went to a reform like, synagogue. This is for you. This is for you. This is what you did. Repent. So her family stayed, and we all left. Oh, in Egypt. The Egyptian, yeah. 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 Kicked us out. Um, we should have cosplayed that. Um, but I, I, I went to this synagogue that was like extremely hippy dippy, even reform. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they would consider themselves reform or whatever, but I would say it's a reform show where, you know, the women are rabbis or dancing around with songs, you know, yeah. with, with guitars. And I'm going, no, this ain't it. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. Either you're doing it, oh, or I you're know. not it's doing the, it. Feels like, foreign to it, you. It's weird because a don't change the tunes. Yeah. Let the let the Hasidim do the tunes. It's all it's all very yeah. high up. It's got to be that. Yeah, yeah. We got to hear that. Like this is a classic. <laughs> like do not destroy the classics. Like the songs aren't good. Mm-hmm. And even though they got guitars, I mean, the music stinks. It's bad. Mm-hmm. It's not. I'm not waving. I'm not getting into it. We're not. You know, like. They're uh, benching after isn't a situation, you know. They think, like, now we're gonna, yeah. you know, say the prayer after the meal. It's like, <laughs> we give our thanks. To, it's like, fucking, you know, just you're gonna do get it, do it. You, it. Want you, want you want the table, yeah. you know, covered, littered in food. Yeah. You want yeah. wine going, you want people singing, and, and I don't know. That's I, I, that is the vibe of yeah. Judaism, I still like, even though my it's such a weird dichotomous life. Well, I haven't, yeah, a, yeah my my. I'm curious about your relationship to sort of Judaism and religion. I mean, when did when did that schism really happen for you? There's a- not a schism is the problem. Like it's just it's changed. This is so much this is way more interesting to me than like 
ex Lubavitch. Yeah. Lesbian. Comedian. I know. I, it's like the, that gray area and the complexity. There's you a know, gray it's area. It's so much more interesting. And, yeah. and now, I'm sure you get up in front of like a Jewish audience and then people are like, oh, this is interesting. Or they give you this rebellious quality or something like that. Well, but, I always feel like an imposter because I'm not Lubavitch. I was only a little girl when that happened. Uh-huh. But it's still, right. but we grew up with the same in that community, with the same we continue to do without my father in the house. So I always felt kind of this what are we doing? We're yeah. doing everything, but we're not exactly in the community, but we're kind of out. And so then you're outside I even on identity? myself yeah. went yeah. further. Yeah, we were, because once my mother was divorced, that mm-hmm. was, you know, kind of not a great, she wasn't, I don't think, as embraced by the community when we moved back. You know, the idea was to try and get her back with my father and this and that. Uh-huh. And so we were kind of now doing it on our own island. Mm-hmm. And then we were starting to go, instead of to, uh, you know, separate boys and girls schools, really religious we went to Jewish schools that mm. were conservative, but to me seemed basically much less religious. Now, to anyone else, it still seems, you know, they were maybe a little bit modern Orthodox or that sort of we thing, which not, seems very religious to people. This is really what do you mean? I don't know. I kind of, <clears throat> I just thought when you described, I, I saw a couple clips of interviews and stuff that you were Chabad Montreal or yeah. Chabad Crown Heights, and there's this homogenous or monolithic thing, but this, yeah. is, this well, is interesting in your story. Yeah, well, yeah. I want to, so yeah. it, it seems like, because in the research we did, it seems like when people ask you to, to give a bio, you'll, you'll, you'll lean into that bio. Yeah. Like ex-Hasidic, yeah. here I am now. But then talking to you, that's not actually. Well, I'm not like, Hasidic, so I wouldn't say yeah. that I'm Hasidic now. No, yeah. it definitely is X, mm-hmm. you know, right, definitely right, right. something I was born into, but I definitely still have a connection, I would uh-huh. say. Like even being gay, like when I found out I was gay, mm-hmm. and I say I found out because I wasn't a kid that was like, what am I going to do? Like I really was like a kid for a long time. Um, I don't know that I thought so much about these things as much. Um, I flirted with boys. I liked the attention of boys, but it was always on a funner. It was never a deeper thing for me. Um, it was kind of like that was the thing to do. Like we're starting to hang out with guys. We're teenagers, whatever. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it never. And then when I found out I was gay, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't do another thing. I was supposed to be, you know, marry rich and be done with this. Like, what am I going to make Another money thing that now? would further, further isolate you, you mean? Or? Yeah, like, well, what am I? I already have a single mother of 10 kids. We're poor, which how do you even get born Jewish and poor anymore? I, I felt like that, yeah, that was, a, that was a, a psycho <laughs> thing to happen to us already. Yeah. So all, you know, and then now yeah, yeah. I, I had to do gay. Gay seems, who needs it? But I never felt like Hashem was mad at me. Uh. Like, it was the weirdest thing. I always have felt some level of protection or understanding of, like, I don't know. I've just never, I guess I am spiritual, and I oscillate between how spiritual I am and how religious I get and unreligious, and I wouldn't consider myself still religious, but I guess to other people doing anything, you know, traditional Mm -hmm, or religious is religious. Yeah. But from how religious I was born, to me, it doesn't seem like I'm religious at all. But always throughout that, I never felt like God wouldn't get it. Like I, I, it always felt like somebody, like a person or or something. It never felt like, from what I learned about God or even other people's religions, when they talk about Jesus, I'm like, he seems nice. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel like, like, you know, you're a nice guy and you're not, you know what I mean? So, and he's supposed (laughs) to be nicer than you. So. What like I doesn't I couldn't ever connect that I would like get in trouble or something if anything right. he would talk to me. But when you're 19 and you 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 come out to your family and friends like how does that work? I'm, I'm yeah. I'm so just curious like outed. what that it, what kind of reaction that received because it seems like there was a whole 
other just seems like there was other things that led up to it that were already making you feel like this was just a sort of a cherry on top of like another another thing that would ma risk making you feel more isolated or estranged from the community. Well, I wasn't in that community. So okay. we were now in a secular, more secular. Like, I was still, oh, I went okay. to a conservative Jewish school, high mm -hmm. school, um, elementary school. And I was the most religious kid at that school. Because right. we were still kosher at home. Mm -hmm. Not only were we kosher, and we were kosher in the house, uh, outside of the house. We had two separate dishes. We, you know, we did Shabbos. Uh, we did all the holidays crazy. We did Kaporis with mm -hmm. the coins. We had chickens at some point. We were doing, like, everything Lubavitch because that's what my mother knew. Yeah. And so even though we were going to these schools mm -hmm. that were li less so, maybe like the school you were talking about growing up, where we still did the traditions and it was very, like, Zionist-heavy and yeah, yeah, more yeah. Israel-focused, um, the traditions that we did were all you know fasting and you know right. all of that stuff so i was always the most religious kid at 18 19 when i was outed mm -hmm. i actually wasn't worried about my my family i was worried about my friends because i went to this type of conservative school mm -hmm. which is only a nuance that i think jews to jews understand it's like yeah. Yes, they weren't Lubavitch, they weren't Hasidic, but they were really traditional. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't just gay kids floating around. Not like it is now, so, I feel like. And I was now in, it's much more inclusive, but then yeah, it was... Exactly, was and like, I was friends with a group of like eight girls, super close. We mm -hmm. were like, you know, we were like, uh, that was like my group, and they were all very mm -hmm. traditional. And I was really worried at that age, I think you're mostly into your social life. So I was so worried to lose my social life. My family life... This is the one period of my life where I was I was a little distant from my family. Not mm -hmm. anything to do with religion because they were all not leaving the religion with me, but I would say adjusting how we did religion with me because my mother, we all calmed down a bit. Mm -hmm. But I was, because of my teenagehood and moving out and living on my own and doing school and you know finding my sexuality or whatever, I wasn't so close with my family because I was mostly preoccupied with my social life. So mm -hmm. that was the biggest thing. And that was a big bomb on my social life. My friends thought I lied to them and, you know, they didn't handle it well at the time. Oh, interesting. Um, which is interesting. You know, I had a friend who told me on our birthright trip, no, no less to Israel, um, that, you know, she could not support the lifestyle I had. Now, of course, her brother was a flaming homosexual <laughs> and she couldn't deal with this. So she took it out on me. And we right. all see that in hindsight. Was, and he, I got out him, at, was he out at the time? Or no, but he his bar mitzvah theme was Cats the musical. There you go. <laughs> so was he out or was he out? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know if that, that's on the parents. So that they point. all knew. Yeah. You know, so um, so. That was the hardest. And then with my family, it was so weird because my mother was probably at the, her least religious point, and now she's religious again, mm -hmm. which is interesting because I guess that's a theme in my family. But my mother didn't care. Like, I was like, Ma, I have a girlfriend. She's blonde. She's like, does she want to come for Shabbos? I'm like, nobody wants to come here. Mm -hmm. But um, I can't get the image of this bar mitzvah boy in a cat uniform going up to get <laughs> No, literally. Like, he was like that, you know? Like, thanks for coming. Like, it was that stereotypical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's interesting. Your friends at the time, they were... They, didn't they were not down. Yeah. yeah. And my family... At this point, so many things had happened in my family. I have nine siblings. I had a brother who had a baby out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. I had a sister who was dating, um, you know, a, a practicing Muslim dude, which mm -hmm. was the biggest issue at that point. Yeah. Like, 
that was like that is so much more hardcore i think than being gay well that's a Muslim. no but that my family took that yeah way crazier so people have paved the, the way faith. in your family yeah. for dr- drama or right whatever. so by the time i'm gay they're like, <laughs> they're like we got yeah. listen yeah. they're like, like sure okay you're just yeah. trying to keep up with the thing. it was just it was a time in my family where everything was chaotic <laughs> right. uh-huh, or we were yeah. all finding ourselves and so to pinpoint on one person or another just didn't really happen. But the social thing was was a concern uh, to me. Mm-hmm. And since then, by the way, I've gotten an apology from all those girls. It just it right. wasn't in the zeitgeist the way it is now. Sure. You now you now it's it's like you're straight. Come on. I know. So, yeah. so much embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Embarrassing. Do you have completely different friends now? Like I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. I have. I mean, I'm still friends. You know, I would say I'm still friendly. Your lives get different, and yeah. you know, um, but I'm still close with some of my high school friends. I'm not close with the whole group but yeah. only because we've you know i have so many you know yeah, yeah. you find your own people and stuff like right. that and i have a lot of queer and friends you, and comedic friends and artist friends right. and, and you're like really you're in the like la comedy scene you right? bet yeah like serious like hollywood yeah thing yeah it's cool yeah <laughs> yeah you ever been uh, the way he's, well, he's made us to live there i yeah. lived there for 10 yeah. years i was doing music most of the time music for TV commercials. Yeah, my band is based there. We play all around LA, and now we're in three cities. But I was pretty active, and still am, still am in the music scene. And recently, I've been doing comedy over the last few years. Um, but um, but you're nice. you're based there now. You you're writing. You're a yeah. TV writer, stand up, yeah. working that scene. Yeah, I I've been doing stand up there for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how long did, how long have you been doing it for? You know what? It's hard to say. I always say that I was kind of there. I guess I'm going. You know. Over five years now, I guess a year and a half of that two years, I was back here working on a show, but mm-hmm. I kept my apartment. Mm-hmm. So I consider that um, that I I was still in right, L.A. Right, during right. that yeah, time. Yeah. I feel like if you keep an apartment anywhere, you also live there. Yeah. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is like this Canadian constituent of me where I grew up in Canada. I started stand-up really in Montreal maybe a year and a half, a year, a year and a half, and then I moved to Toronto, and mm-hmm. that's when I really really started doing Toronto's stand-up like seriously. Big, there's like a lot of culture in Toronto. Like I it's wouldn't really have underrated. known it if someone didn't tell me that. Really underrated. Yeah, the stand-up's like a, phenomenal there. Yeah. Kind of what I would consider my first home club was there. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to the comedy bar. But mm-hmm. I Toronto was like where I really started hitting the pavement stand-up, doing it kind of nightly um, because they just had more shows in Montreal. And then I moved to L.A., back to New York, now I'm back in LA uh-huh. and I kind of, you know, not to sound elitist, but I have mm-hmm. kind of a bi-coastal situation yeah. now mm-hmm. sometimes. I've been back in New York quite a bit now. So we're like fans from afar uh, for, um, on like the podcast comedy okay. scene. Um, so it's fun to meet someone who's like really in it. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to like fanboy too much, but it's like, it's just interesting that like, um, I asked you about your friends from Montreal because I'm like, if I could hang out with like, those dudes, like I would never talk to anyone I grew up with. Mm-hmm. You know, like they just seem like <laughs> oh, yeah. seems like really interesting and fun and cool. No, exactly. And, like, and so I do yeah. and I, I don't think anybody's better than anyone, but some people, you know, they're living a life that <laughs> well, I've but, seen a thousand times. You <laughs> yeah. know, I'm just yeah. not living that that life. And, right. and they have kids and they're doing great. It's yeah. just I never imagined my life, but I also I didn't grow up like I grew up dreaming secretly, but we didn't openly dream in my house like Mm -hmm. i wouldn't say that my mother um encouraged you know not that she discouraged but there wasn't this idea you could be anything you wanted to be yeah you know they're just well it just 
So, so I didn't even really know of this. I have no clue, but I knew what my friends are doing now. That life I knew. Yeah. yeah. So well, it that, didn't feel new or anything. How did you, so it just take me back a little bit to when you first were pursuing this as yeah. a writer and comedian right. or just trying the creative path. Because we talk a lot about like the pressures we felt in the modern Orthodox Jewish community of sticking to certain yeah. career paths. You know, there are certain approved what uh, are they for the modern Orthodox? You know, doc, professions like doctor and lawyer and then oh, wow. finance, doctor, lawyer, and, finance and those yeah. kinds of things. Well, and, and also, and just a caveat on that, it's it's I, it's modern Orthodox, but I think it's also growing up like upper middle class in the tri-state mm-hmm. area. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone in entertainment growing up. I still, like, know very yeah. few people. Like, like there were no models for someone who would, like, write professionally or mm-hmm. do film professionally right. like, on, at all from the East Coast. And so, there were these caricatures of, like, oh, the music business. That's a very tricky business. I hear it, like, yeah. the entertainment. Yes, very few people make it. But yeah. nobody, nobody says that from experience. They're no. saying that because it is true that I think our religious lifestyle and an upper middle class lifestyle requires stable like you know it lends itself to having stable career stable income and our parents are boomers who came from holocaust survivors my, my parents were from yeah, holocaust survivors exactly so they were <laughs> hyper motivated to uh you know succeed and be ambitious and you know my dad was always like gotta keep your eye on the ball and the ball was a big ball of cash like that was the idea yeah so they were just very hesitant and worried about careers that were that took longer to develop that you had to play the long game and develop over time and you could see success but it took much longer to do that yeah and Um, also they were like you know maybe projecting a bit you know they mm -hmm. didn't do their own dreams maybe they didn't get to dream or something like that and the thing is well i don't think it was an option for them really no exactly you know know, i think what's surprising is that i make a a pretty nice living (laughs) you know i i will say that um you know uh (laughs) I do okay, folks. <laughs> you know, yeah. not so to like get how like much too... a year. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I would say probably like a moderately sized dentist. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that people would. A dentist is nice. No, He's a dentist. No, I would she say does very that, well. That. I, I would that. say that yeah. financially, I wouldn't have known either. The thing is, is, <laughs> is my path. My path will explain the money stuff a lot because I grew up extremely poor, which again, I think is horrendous luck in the Jewish community mm-hmm. in the year yeah. that I was born, okay? Right. When you think about it, okay? Even to have been modern Orthodox or whatever, conservative, yeah. upper middle class, <laughs> I would have taken middle class, okay? Yeah. But this was, you know... Well, most people, I think most families with 10 kids also don't have, like, a ton to go No, around. of course not. They always... They always Jew the big fat. Like they always. Did you know like you were the, poor when you were growing up? We know. You know. You know you're poor. Even you got in, nothing. Even in Crown Heights, compared to the well, other you, families, a, you were poor. No, we were poor with other. Like with, we would insult each other. Like you're poor. We're like you're poor too. <laughs> the whole like, community was. Yeah, we were poor. Right. The community was poor. There was some Jews who worked in diamonds or something right. in a Montreal. Few, a few like, mockers who yeah, paid there for were everything. Yeah. Restaurants in Crown Heights back then. Or like well, I don't know. I was out. young, but even in Montreal, we lived in the Crown. Yeah. We lived in the Hasidic neighborhood. I would say we had like there was one family up the block that was like involved in diamonds, mm-hmm. and they had converted their duplex to one house. So that was rich. They hosted but, everything. But then when I went to that, <laughs> when I went to the rich private school on subsidy through the Jewish community, mm-hmm. that's when I was like the poorest kid at the richest school. And that's when mm-hmm. I met Jews like you, right, what right. you would call upper middle class or middle right. class and up. Um, but so when I got into school, I applied. <laughs> I applied to school uh, to McGill because I was in Montreal mm-hmm. and yeah. it was free to apply. The Harvard um, of Canada. Yeah, or you know, or we call uh, Harvard the McGill of the U.S. There's two ways that can go. <laughs> was there right. was there a conversation I, growing up about like you're saying career or like was it? 
pressure to do one thing or another? It just didn't no come up No pressure much at whatsoever. All. We were not considered in that way. Right. I moved out at like 18 years old. You didn't feel anything was expected necessarily. Nothing was expected. Right. Zero. My mother, if anything, would say school's not for everyone. Mm. Better she or worse encourage. than what you have it? I don't she, know. <laughs> in terms of pressure, a, I don't yeah, know. different. You know what? I had a self, I have like I relate to people's grandparents so well. Yeah. Like if I'm in a house with grandparents, so I'm by the end of the night, they're like, "Here's my number. Come over." Like right. because we had the same hunger. Nobody is hungrier than me. Right. I'm yeah. always insatiable. I'm always starving. I never feel always take enough. some eggs with right. you. Right. Like you need you need a war to volunteer for mm-hmm. to change your fortune. What's that? Like my grandfather went yes. to World War Two, so oh. he was able to go to college. And like you could have used the good war. Yeah, I could have. Yeah, yeah, me at the war. I can't yeah. see. <laughs> I just remember playing like sports and high school. I shoot school. the right way. <laughs> wow. I was always like shoved somewhere in the outfield. I don't know why they forced that. We were like, and I was in the outfield. We would have to do sports for an hour or something. Mm. I'm like, I can't see. Not this ball's never coming. I'm in the middle of the sun. I'm like this. I my my glove is out. I got no clue what's going on. I can't see. So you know where I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's every Jew, I think. Yeah. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. like. I was playing music. I was not doing sports. And I, I gay. Hate the, I hate the, the gay. Gay. Well, that back then they would have thought my, that. <laughs> yeah, like we, maybe we can rate our gayness. What do you think? We're <laughs> concealing. Yeah, no, it. yeah, and you're not. But you know, you can tell right away. No, <laughs> <laughs> bisexual maybe. On a very special episode, buckle up. <laughs> Um, but but you're hungry. You like so, yeah. You, so I applied to McGill, and I was like, "What's the least have. amount of school I got mm-hmm. in? I got in a scholarship for the first year." So I said, "What's the least amount of school for the most amount of payoff?" I went into accounting. Mm-hmm. I got a good job like that because they were like, "They'll Sorry. give you a job." This like accounting and finance firms will hire you for the summer, and this company they were like, "You can have a laptop." I'm like, "For keeps?" They're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "I'm in," mm-hmm. and it was great. I was making money, and. And, and at this point, did you have, like, a creative ambition or drive? No, or so was, I didn't. But didn't as exist? soon as I wasn't poor, I could yeah. think. Uh, so here's the whole thing. is like I never uh, pop. Like, I, the struggling artist thing does nothing for me. I can't wait to sell out. I'm, like, the first person to, like, let's get bottles, models, Lamborghini. Yeah. Like, let's just <laughs> fucking go. Yeah. Like, the struggling artist thing. Like, I more have, like, a rapper mentality, maybe born in Brooklyn, right. where I'm, like, oh, we're going... Like, I don't, the struggling guy in the guitar, you know. Uh, no nobility and you know, poverty. Busking yeah. on the corner, that was not the route, you know. Right. Um, I just. That's for people who know they're going to be okay. Yeah, like, oh, they're yeah. okay to share an apartment with 16 people. No, I've already been poor. I have no interest in revisiting. It does nothing for me. I'll work at the bank. Right. If this didn't, so. So During once that you time, had some financial stability, you could think that's really interesting. And then you could start to say, okay, now that's covered in terms of stability, passion, interest. Start well, to- I always wrote in high school. Mm-hmm. And I, I, my mother, it's so funny, my mother was a really big support of my writing and my short stories. And I wrote a short story for school that got some attention. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I had some of that. Comedic and I was writing, a class, class clown, but that was a little bit embarrassing because I was a girl. And girls are annoying when they're loud. Right. I'm still annoying and loud. I just don't care. Um, but it was less like, it just wasn't cool for a girl to be the class clown. And I was that, but I always felt annoying. Um, and now I still feel annoying, but I don't really care. But, but were you, did you kill in class? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the funny one with the friends and the whole thing, but it still felt like. You felt self-conscious about it? I did feel self-conscious because it was like cute or not to be, but then I got hot and then I got boys again. So I don't know, but people started noticing, oh, she's kind of also hot. 
And I and I leaned into that. Yeah. Whatever I got, I kind of like went. I was like, okay, let's capitalize. Any positive feedback? It was like yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah. So then I discovered stand up sometime around that in university. Uh, Montreal had the Just for Last Festival, which is mm-hmm. the biggest festival. So I hadn't really. My brothers had listened to some stand up at home and whatever, mm-hmm. but nothing. I really, you know, I remember them talking about Patrice O'Neill or this and that, yeah. but I didn't. You know, I wasn't into my brother. Like, my brothers were hell on earth to me at that uh, (laughs) those years, you know. Mm -hmm. So I just, I was having dinner with friends, and I I, I just decided, I said, you know, and I was killing this dinner. I was telling stories without realizing how annoying it is to be Mm -hmm. on. You know when you're on? I I say uh, the Shabbos lunch is Ami's canvas. (laughs) The meal is great. That's when you know, like, like, I I think I can do this. I have premises here, and they're just just destroyed. Yeah. They're destroyed. The stage is a different story, but... You've, oh, you've, you're, you're getting f- there. You're feeling the. Uh, you're feeling that energy. Yeah, and I just yeah. said, like, hey, I think I'm gonna do stand up, mm-hmm. and they weren't like. Everybody was like, yeah, that mm-hmm. sounds like it could work, yeah. and I just really started then, and then I got into writing because I thought I started really looking into stand ups, and like I was like, Jerry Seinfeld was a stand up before his show, mm-hmm. and like Ellen's a stand up but has a show, like all the biggest famous ones that you could think of, because obviously I wasn't in the world stand up, I didn't know like. Mitch Hedberg or whatever sure. the other levels are. And um, and so I just assumed everybody wrote. Mm-hmm. And that's when I wrote my first script and yeah. really got... And then I got attention for that and everything. I just always well, kept e- doing both. E- even for stand-up itself, when I was first getting started and, you know... I'd, I'd been conversationally funny over the years and thought of ideas and stuff. But most of, if not all of my creative energy was going into music. And yeah. then when I started doing social media stuff... I was starting putting sketches and bits together. And then I heard Jerry Seinfeld on a podcast. I was like, how am I going to do this on stage? Like, I don't know. You know, like, what do you, where do you start when you get yeah. up on the mic? And he said something very clarifying to me. It's one of the simplest ideas ever, but he was on a podcast with Tim Ferriss. And he goes, so, Jerry, how does it work? He's like, good stand-up is good writing. Yeah. And I, and I just, when he said that, it kind of just pierced through vibe and style and all those things that will come naturally with time. Mm-hmm. But what's going on is, oh... There's really technique, just like with when you go to a music show, you think they're just like jamming. Yeah. No, no, there's a lot of depth and technique and timing and dynamics, yeah. all of things that I was comfortable with, but just having to translate into stand-up. So it's like we were saying. Yeah, and also writers. the better you get at it, the more you can break the rules. It's yes. funny, some people will watch a, an episode of Atlanta, you know, and be like, nothing's happening. Because Donald Glover is so skilled at television mm-hmm. writing that actually it's like a science and actually he knows like for sure at the bottom of the second half it feels like there's an all is lost moment. Like he is so skilled sure. at the at the laws or whatever mm-hmm. that is of writing that he can now play with them. Just right. like Louis C.K., who's so good at stand-up, some new stand-ups get up and they just decide they're going to talk because that's what they think Louis's doing. Exactly. No, Louis is so good. Mm. That he knows every rule he's breaking. And the thing is, is he's done it so many times that I do agree that for Jerry Seinfeld's kind of comedy, stand-up is writing. Mm -hmm. But I think that some people get so into the... uh, That's a style. Mm -hmm. I think for Louis C.K., for instance, he's writing on the fly. His writing is so good. It's on the fly. And then he also Uh, writes on top of it. Yeah, it's not mutually exclusive. He said recently that if he has an idea, he won't write it down. Because mm-hmm. he needs to work it out verbally on stage with an audience, or else it loses that magic. Yes, of being you know stationary. Yes, on a piece of paper. because but he's done the writing so much mm-hmm. that now actually it's precious when he writes his his first draft. 
Right. From his head is is, is the ma- yeah. yeah. But to yeah, me, yeah. I, I actually don't, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. It's it's more. What does mutually exclusive mean? Everybody's always mean? saying this. That the idea is like Jerry Seinfeld's comedy comedy and Louis C.K.'s comedy actually have a lot more in common of what they're doing. It's just that they're they're not mutually exclusive. Meaning they they, they can't both be true. Either one is true. If one's true, the other's false. Okay, That's what but can exclusive. they both yeah. be true? <clears throat> no. If they're st- not mutually exclusive, that means they can both be true. Okay, wait. If they are, sorry, <laughs> to hit double you. negative. Sorry. Okay, if they're not mutually exclusive, they can both be true. Okay, it, it, I think they're both true. Correct. So they're not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive. So mutually exclusive means if one exists, the other one's not. Right. Yeah, one falsifies. What the other. a it's either difficult. This, like, it's what either a this difficult. way or the other. It's exclusive. It's exclusively this way or yeah, that Yeah, but the way. mutually is what's well, exclusive. I can M- Mutually understand. as in together, they can't exist at the okay, same time. Okay, I, I, that's an amazing... So this, I, I, Michael's better at explaining the vocabulary. No, that he's, was a perfect... I needed the visual. It's like, yeah, yeah. like Israel, Palestine, someone would say, are mutually exclusive. If You can't have both. Either one yeah, or the other. You had to go there. That's the example? you got to get the sound bite. Okay, they're mutually exclusive. So you can't have one without the other. No, no, you you, you can you, only have one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but not mutually. In other words, if I said you can have both. Yeah, yeah. It's two states. When I say Jerry yeah. Seinfeld, when I say Seinfeld and Louis C.K. are not mutually exclusive, their their approaches are both kind of based on the same fundamental principles. I think. Yeah. It's just that what Louis is doing is. Seinfeld, Seinfeld is sticking to his script almost like a classical musician, like playing it note yeah. for note. And Louis has this foundation of comedy and timing and how things work and then can play a little bit almost like an, a jazz band. Yeah. You know and what I mean? And he goes, but, but if, if people watch Louis and they have no musical training, it's like watching yes. a jazz band saying, oh, I'll just get up and jam. They're just making noise yeah. up there. And the set falls apart. And I've seen it with comics who just bomb because they're trying to vibe. Exactly. And they don't have any... Right, written foundation. Louis has written foundation. No, I think you have to start from that. It's, it's the same with anything. Like Picasso, like when, when people start to tell me, you know, uh, people start in art and they 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 do abstract only art. Mm-hmm. I go, listen, first draw a face. Yes. And yeah. then fuck around. Picasso had the blue period. He could draw you exactly. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then he gets away with doing the line and whatever. But so, people coming in just with the scribbles yeah. without... Correct. Also, be able to draw a tree. Yeah. And it's so discouraging because I have, um, <laughs> I have like, uh, I finally have like, like an open set, like an open mic set. I think I think I want to do. Yeah. And I, I think to myself, it's very Louis C.K. So. Um, and that's now, fine. Now I'm thinking if I get up there and try it, I'm just gonna like totally. Oh, like, you gotta do this. I gotta see you do this. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I just mean like when, when, when I've had a good uh, set that really works and flows that I've like worked out, I, I understand. And you can sort of see once once you cut like I always like creatively. My instinct is always to demystify something. Yeah, I hear a piece of music or something. I want to know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Michael likes to sit in mystery and, and wonder. That's his approach, right? When we always debate about this in general. Yeah, yeah. Like not knowing is 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 almost. But my instinct yeah. is always. Yeah, I get a lot of fulfillment out of like figuring out exactly what's going on, whether it's a piece of music, but with comedy too. Once you kind of start the process of kind of writing stand up and doing it, you realize ah. You see the setup, punch, structure, and all that. Yeah, and the thing is, is everybody's right. I mean, I've been struggling with this recently where I've been talking about, like, I don't know what's right anymore, like, like with anything. So it's like I think the way that you explain that is 100% right, Mm -hmm. but I also think that it could be 100% right that there are different styles, improv, and one is written. You know, I I also think, like, fine, they're both in the same form. Like, But they're not mutually... Excuse right, <laughs> like I feel like it's true. With you know, any it's craft. like with the Israel-Palestine thing. Yeah. Like if you explain it to me from the Palestinian side, I go, yeah. "They're 100 percent right." Can't argue. Yeah. Like if, if 
that I hear what you're saying. You're 100 percent right. And then my brother will say something better. Israel, I'll be like, he's got a point. <laughs> like I don't know you're, you're, what is right anymore. You're like, high in I, openness. Like, there's too much right. Like like mm. you, whoever's perspective you come from is who's right. So it's like right. if you think that stand up is coming from the same general perspective, then it is for you. If you think that it's going to start from this other thing and get like, I don't know. But yeah. like with any craft that you dive into yeah. and you learn the fundamentals, the rules, the foundations, the, everyone has experienced the but deeper then, and deeper you go. You're like, oh, no, it, none of it's true. You can do any. But I just mean the deeper you go past yeah. it, then you realize how much you can push. And then you realize, yeah. oh, uh, everything and nothing. Like you can do anything and you have yeah. to do something. So it's it's really that balance, and you go through phases where you're like, these are the these are the parameters I'm going to set for myself, and then you push past. You're like, oh wait a minute, no, like you 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 can find the contradiction. Yeah. We spoke which, about this last time. We're like, yeah. now everyone needs to have a take. So like that's <laughs> that's like the takeification. There has to be a way to do it, mm -hmm. and like I have to go on TikTok and be able to put it into a minute long. Yeah, yeah. Somebody that then people follow, but like the Rick Rubin stuff. There's no take on it, right? There's just. There's, there's no great take on it. Just yeah, we've made up every possible thing you could think of. Right. They're all constructs. Yeah, and, and Rick, you know and what I mean? well said. Like well Rick Rubin saying the dangers of advice. He says that I don't right. like giving advice because the second you give something advice, yeah. it formulates it into a specific way to do something, yeah. which is limiting and not yeah. always true. It worked in my case. I got his book, by the way. Yes. Who, who, Rick Rubin. You know, oh, Rick, you know Rick Rubin? I don't know. Famous music producer, huge oh, beard. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, 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 So he wrote this book. It looks like the, you know those old like Shiloh sitters? Like the blue ones, yeah, like yeah, cloth. yeah. Shilo, Shilo, yeah. So that's the cover. So already, it's just like comfortable and oh, nice. He knows and what he's I, doing. I wrote, I wrote, you Dobbin from the book. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the first ten page. I he is some of the best paragraphs on creativity that I've written. I've ever read in like the first couple wow. pages. He's like, you should check it out. Is there a movie that he's, I can watch? He's yeah. amazing and he's very <laughs> open. Yeah, yeah, I, I would because I, I, you know, reading. I find I haven't. Yeah. Reading takes everything. But he has an audio. He, has, he does yeah. it in audio books too. And he's I got a soothing really voice and it's I very relaxed. He's unreal. This is off topic and it's kind of circling back to where yeah. we started. Uh, so forgive me. But with all the conversations that are going now, it's like so dominant in the culture of um, everything being political, everything yeah. being, you know, about tribal group identity, um, LGBTQ community, and uh, yeah, left, right, center, yeah. whatever it may be. It sounds like your story from what I from what you've described to us, is it's so uniquely you yeah. and different. Like, do you connect with any of that stuff or is that just not worth the I do, stress but of? I just like live my life. Like, I don't think it's the hard, you know, I connect more with, and I think that, you know, there's room for everything. I don't think like, you know, I think it's somebody was saying, and it's maybe a more famous saying, um, and I regret that I don't have the credit, but mm. somebody was saying, you know, not all struggles are equal, but they're connected. And I think there's, room for all of them. My struggle that I connect with most is poverty. Mm -hmm. And I think that poverty to me feels like a broader umbrella for a lot of these issues. Um, and if we, but it's just not a fun hot button issue to talk about talking about meat and potato jobs mm -hmm. and, 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 no. and poverty and people eating is just like not that glitzy for like, you know, mainstream media. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get, but I don't, I can barely, I didn't think about who I was or anything when I was poor. Right. Like, I'm just, if you have to eat, you got to eat. Nobody cared that I was gay, nothing. Like, we mm -hmm. cared about so many other things. That's a luxury but to so have those stresses. I think, uh, you know, for me, it of felt identity like it. And, and it's not to say, listen, there's a lot of people who are in, you know, I am also fortunate that I was in 
you know, metropolitan cities, New mm-hmm. York, Montreal, Toronto, Los Angeles, where, you know, there's a lot of LGBT, but if you're in some shit town and you're poor and you have that and mm-hmm. that is a risk to you or something, then you you can, you know, speak to that because th- that's that, you know, but for me personally, where my heart goes is still, I feel like a Moses getting out of a poor community. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the circle I'm around the people that I rub elbows with are now, I feel like I'm a fly on the wall. I feel like I got somewhere I shouldn't get. And I always want to return to, you know, that's how I feel. Yeah. The struggle you most identify with was that of poverty and getting out of that. that, Yeah. And I think that that's where, you know, so in terms of when, you know, much more universal transcend, like it transcends so many. Somebody asked me what I think about this trans girl in the pool. Mm -hmm. Did you hear about this trans swimmer? Leah Thomas. Yes. Leah Thomas. She's a, um, a trans swimmer. um, You get, you must get those quite male to female. Yeah. She, she is at an Ivy league school. I think Penn, Penn U university. Yeah, Penn yeah, State, Penn, 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 yeah, whatever. Yeah, she's at Penn mm-hmm. U. Yeah. It's like 80K a year. There's, you know, 12 <laughs> girls in the pool. Okay. And somebody wanted to ask me, what do I think of this trans girl? How unfair it is. Look how tall she is. Yeah. This trans girl in the pool with all these other girls. And when I look at the pool, I see 12 white kids in the pool. And mm-hmm. I go, you want to tell me these are the best swimmers? In college, why don't we give one girl from the Bronx lessons from two, and then you fucking ask me who the best swimmer is. Mm-hmm. I don't care about rich kids in a pool, trans or otherwise, period. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. There's 12 rich kids in a pool. Bye. That's oh. how much thought I give it. So you're not going to get me on the bait of, oh, there's this. No, I don't mm-hmm. care. Like, I see a way bigger yeah. issue. Do you get asked to represent those things, though? Do you get like, no? Sorry, but when no. I get asked, I, I, I and and I think there's room for having opinions on those mm-hmm. issues, and I think that they can, you know. Again, I never know what is right. I think that conversation, you know, I think um, oppressing people, or you know, but I think there's there's room for, but for me personally, mm-hmm. you know, um, I just wish poverty took up more of the conversation. Yeah, I'm Because it affects the, the more it people, queer, not queer, yeah, yeah. black, white. And the reason it doesn't is because it's an actual threat to power. The right yes. left is not really a threat to power. So they're like, talk about that all day. Exactly. They both use that as a distraction. No, but I feel that my. I don't think that's conspiracy. No, I think minded. it's right. I think it's like economically minded. Like, I mean, I heard I heard this this guy say, I forgot his name, um, but he was like, if you know, with the 1619 Project, Bank of America was sponsoring the book tour. And he's like, if Bank of America is sponsoring your book tour, the one thing you can be sure of is you're not a threat to the existing power structures. No, like, exactly. Like, good, talk about talk about to me, right and left, Republican Democrats, the same party. Mm-hmm. For me, I see rich versus poor, uh-huh. and they're both. That's they're the just, only they binary. They use these issues, and as a queer person, I don't care to be used. There are some real issues in being mm-hmm. queer, fine, mm-hmm. but I don't care to be used as a distraction from the rich taking for the poor. I don't care that my issue. I don't care to be used in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, as or a to turn people against each other. Yeah. From you mean in these power structures, yeah. let them quibble and fight over these non-issues, right. so to speak, or yeah, these yeah. trivial issues people, that are yeah. not really, right, you know, right. c- c- as consequential yeah. as not being able to eat. Because of all the poverty-stricken people, were yeah. to unite in some way and vote in a certain way, that might actually. I hear that. Exactly. Some there, there's something to be said about this all being champagne problems like remember oscar so white that campaign oscar so white oscar mm-hmm. so White. i was with this 
I think it was a drummer who looked at me as it was going on, and Will Smith was complaining that he wasn't nominated because of discrimination, even though Jamie Foxx like won two years earlier. But he was, but this kid was like, "Who cares? Stop complaining. You're all rich. Go home. Mm-hmm. But, like, you didn't get your you like, didn't get your award. Go home. You're yeah, all rich. <laughs> you're fine. Like yeah. you will be okay, Will Smith." <laughs> And he's like, and he claimed that it was, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And then well, the next year. Then he, I don't think he's going to be nominated. In <laughs> <laughs> um, but, that's you know, but, you know, and there's issues to that. I'm not going to speak to that because I think that there's a real system of racism for sure that needs to be talked about. That affects a lot of people. But I also agree completely with you, Michael, mm. that um, it, it, it's heightened this <laughs> idea that we should focus on our differences rather than mm. what we have in common. Mm. And yeah. they're really grasping for differences now so that we can mm. be mad at them. And they're hot button and they're like, confusing things to people and they get people irate and distracting from what we have in common, which is a massive income inequality right. uh, in this nation. And right. I think you're totally, that's yeah. where uh, I, poverty. The, the Ohio train. Now, if you like oh. watch like the view, they're like, well, that County voted for Trump. And I was like, crazy. Like they're poor. <laughs> like, like that's the issue. That yeah. there's no lawyers in that town, so they can't sue anybody. It's like, crazy. Like and there's certainly a lot of people claiming thing. to do things on behalf of people less fortunate or use yeah, them as political pawns. Performative. This is wrong. And it's always easy to say you can do good for them with other people's money and then make these platitudes and claims that you're going to help. And then you just walk away from the problems with no account. It doesn't affect you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever the consequences of these exactly. politicians' policies are, whatever they try to do, they, they feel good about themselves, tap themselves on the back, but they walk away. Even this Chinese balloon, I'm going, <laughs> this is just a, a balloon that, that, that they're looking there? at Should us through the computer. What is the balloon sing? A field of corn? <laughs> yeah. what's, what's the view from the balloon? Yeah, Somebody right. watering this, the, like, what, what is it even? They're literally, <laughs> that's when you wake up about, they're spying on us when we have this? Yeah. But there, 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 there was this argument of, like, uh, you know, the Occupy Wall Street a lot, like, People who criticized it, there was this point that's resonant. I'm not sure if you'll fully agree with this, but they would say, like, I think a lot of these kids out there protesting are upper middle class. Who can afford, what working class person can afford to sit there in the park day after day after day, reading marks on the floor, whatever it may be? You know, they're all in NYU or whatever it may be. You know what? It was a But I think even even if it comes from the rich, we need, it's like for women to get rights, we need men. So for women to vote, right. we needed men to right. allow that. We needed men on our side right. to be like, you know what, you're a person. I'm just saying, who brain. are the people actually? They may be, so they may be pointing to something. People. But who Like are- you coming from an upper middle class saying what you said is rare for me to hear. Mm-hmm. And it feels like allyship. Well, think, well things mm. now are also trickling upward for like... It was Michael really, identifies like, as poor. <laughs> well, it's, it's harder <laughs> now. Now that he's had kids. <laughs> it's hard, like, uh, like, like take for instance, like the uh, AI technology replacing jobs. When it was mm. happening to people uh, working in retail... It wasn't a problem. Now that it's happening, maybe to doctors and lawyers. Yes. Now it's going to become, oh well, we can't stand for this. What do you mean we have to re-educate ourselves? Like mm-hmm. that's yeah. not okay. You need to you need to help us, government. So yeah. you're just saying now it's like trickling a little bit upwards to people like me who like find it harder to get a job or harder to to whatever. You hit me up, Michael. You got something doing. You hit me up, okay? <laughs> me, I've I've out, I, I've outed myself no, as right of center. You'll be doing me. the music. No, you'll be doing the music. We we need we need to, we have some songs. We 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 need some some songs from you. We do okay. like yeah. a buddy yeah. cop yeah. movie maybe. Yeah. Buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, Robbie, thank you so much for being on Buckle Up, episode 54 in our 
It's a good New number. New City Studio. We're going to see if we can make it work here. Time yeah, yeah, our yeah. first attempt. Thank yeah. you so really much. Good. We really appreciate uh, it. It's a pleasure talking and getting me. to know you. Yeah. Thank you. To know you. Uh, that's Buckle Up, episode 54. Robbie Hoffman, comedian, writer. Follow Jew. me on Instagram, yes, Robbie Hoffman. Uh, and Twitter uh, on Twitter for some semi-viral tweets. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, what do I have? 1,200 on a tweet a couple weeks ago. It happens nice. at I am Robbie Hoffman. So. Beautiful. Okay, we'll put all that in the show. Notes yeah, perfect. Yes, yes. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Robbie. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> Very much. <laughs> Thanks for having me.